what you are basically. Deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply the fabric and structure of existence itself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. Honestly, it's blessing yourself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. The fabric and structure of existence itself. Hi everybody, welcome to the Parallel Mike Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the intro for episode number 10. Got an absolutely awesome episode to share with you with my good friend, Mr. Johnny Vedmore. Now, you'll know Johnny as the investigative journalist. He's one of the best out there, one of the most courageous out there for sure, as you're going to find out in tonight's episode. But he's an investigative journalist. He broke the story on Klaus Schwab and his family values, which was a series of articles where Johnny exposed the Schwab family's links to the Nazi party. And, you know, you probably know that by now because it's been everywhere. But up until the point Johnny made that article, nobody knew it because it took somebody of real skill and depth. And that's what Johnny is, is an extremely talented and skillful journalist and is working for the good side, is working for our team. So we need people like Johnny out there. And we talk a lot in tonight's episode about courage in many different ways. Now, in part one, we are going to be talking, well, we talk about a lot of things, actually. We talk about Johnny's most recent work, which was on the Jack the Ripper case. So he's got a bombshell article that's going to be coming out because Johnny's been reanalyzing that case. And you'll know this case is one of the most famous in British history. And Johnny mentions in part one that he's been working on it and he believes that he might have even solved the mystery to that crime. So that's such a cool discussion that we have around that. Then we start to talk about the tech revolution. We talked about World War One and World War Two, and Johnny discusses how these mass losses of life were actually part of the elite's plan to test out new technologies and use these wars to actually advance those technologies far, far quicker than they ever could without the war. And of course, that sounds quite familiar, right? What have we just lived through ourselves? Well, we're going through a new technological revolution. It's called the Fourth Industrial Revolution, as Mr. Schwab puts it. And it's to do with AI, transhumanism, and we get into all of that stuff and so much more because, like I said, Johnny just absolutely knocks this one out of the park. It's such a fun and interesting conversation, but it's also got real depth to it too, as you're going to find out. Now, in part two, we continue to talk about this surveillance state that's coming, how AI is going to completely change the game for everyone. And we have a good conversation about OnlyFans and the consequences of this. And we also talk a lot about Johnny's background, you know, his own personal stories, what it was like growing up a part of this really interesting scene, how child sexual abuse has impacted Johnny and his own life, how having a real serious illness that almost killed him led to him completely changing his perspective on life and having to develop within him that courage, that strength that we see in him now as an investigative journalist. So that's a really fantastic story, super inspiring. Johnny is not a victim of life. He's somebody that's overcome many, many hard times and he's turned those negatives, he's turned those obstacles into positives. And of course, now we see them 
demonstrated working in the light of truth for all of us, for the benefit of all of us, so that we can expose the people behind some of these dystopian and let's face it, evil agendas that are out there. Now, of course, for the people that do that, the people that have that courage, but there's a big risk that comes with that. And Johnny talks a lot about that in part two. He talks about how he has been targeted and how this has affected him psychologically and it continues to affect him and how he faces up to that. How does he deal with that? So that's a very personal discussion also. So if you are a member, you will get to listen to that second part. If you're not, then please consider subscribing. This is probably one of the best ones you could do that for because this conversation is definitely one worth listening. And Johnny reveals so many bombshells. He's got so many things that are in the pipeline that's coming up that's really going to blow it wide open. And Johnny explains that in tonight's episode. Now, before I go, I just wanted to mention I am on Rockfin now and part one will be available for free on Rockfin also. So if you want to watch it over there with the video, you can. I will also from now on be putting all of my Parallel Systems broadcast episodes, so that's for my finance channel on YouTube. They'll all be going on to Rockfin also. I'm trying to get away from YouTube. They keep censoring me. So I'll be putting part one of this on Rockfin for free and part two I'm also going to add for Rockfin Premium. So if you subscribe to Rockfin Premium or you do subscribe through my channel I will have part two of this. Not every podcast episode will be going on there. They will all be on ParallelMike.com for members but part two of this will be on Rockfin this once. And in the future I'll be adding other premium content related to both my channels Parallel Systems Broadcast and the Parallel Mike podcast. So that's just an extra place to find my episodes. So I'm going to leave it there for the introduction. Thank you so much for listening to this one. Big shout out to Johnny. Big thank you for joining me on the Parallel Mike podcast. And with that, I will say goodbye. So I wish you all health and happiness. And of course, I will see you in the next one. Yeah, times like this, are, I mean, everybody's experienced the past two, three years. It's been crazy, crazy business. I, I, I wanted, I really wanted to, uh, 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 in 2020, I was, I was really starting to realize I'm starting anew. I'm starting afresh. My whole life's becoming a new thing. And then all of this stuff happened. And I looked around and realized our lives are all so precarious. They're all, they're all on the edge of policies of the dictatorships that are in plain sight but we're not looking at they're all in you know they're all on the edge of a cliff which is an ideological cliff made by other people given to us forced upon us um and taught to us as as it being normal and so everything you can never know what what's going to happen they can flip the narrative and watch people split one of the biggest things at the start of the pandemic at 2020 was for a lot of british people was the brexit had just extended and for a lot of people brexit was uh three to four years of extreme ideological warfare they timed that on... pretty well didn't they johnny yeah yeah very well and just as that's rolling away um and and that's just dying down and i mean when it got just before the vote I'm working in a two-star hotel on a reception desk, uh, writing articles behind the, the the front desk nearly all of the time. And I, I was working in a two-star, so I did. I had to do as little work as possible so I could concentrate <laughs> on journalism behind it. And it was a one-man hotel, fifty-two bedrooms. So I'm running around all over the place in between. But there, I, I talk to people honestly, every guest. Um, and the arguments I had that were they they would build up into people being such 
like filled with hate and anger about an issue about political union with a continent with a continent and for me it was just also it all seems so silly it, it completely amazing that that within no time and this is what it taught me the flip of the paradigm from brexit to covid was a real eye-opener load of people who were on the same i was on the same ideological side of suddenly were my against me i would say my enemy I, I i wouldn't say it but they would and they were fighting and arguing and shouting and angry um and and it it it, it same thing happened at the end of covid with ukraine they flipped the 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 narrative and suddenly you've got like half the people who are on your side divide again and there's loads of arguments again and i'd already worked out that brexit was an argument for argument's sake but i took a side you know i took a side oh i'm i'm uh i'm uh, uh, join the eu go on join the eu i'll go with corbyn's side because i vote corbyn and i'm in the and i still even though i'm writing about how dirty the political system is i was still kind of like uh, hoping hoping like everybody does that there would be change and there would be a beautiful world in the future and you know i'm not looking for socialism or communism or or uh fascism or any ideological uh like narrative in particular i'm looking for a happy easy going life and i'm hoping i'm gonna find that by remaining in the eu and not having trouble with jeremy Corbyn. and also like th my ideological enemies for years were all on the other side of the debate so it was really easy for me to place myself psychologically inside the remain sphere and look out and say huh, look at all of these people who i've already built a narrative up over years and years that they're tories and that they're this and that they're that and as soon as the uh, flip happened with the pandemic and i and and a lot of the research i had done in between a lot of articles um in 2019 i published my first article on the Youngerman series which was uh, a, a lady uh, related to Jeffrey Epstein and and then like a massive wall of censorship came down on me and I had uh, really highly skilled legal outfits centering my work across like uh, all across the internet and trying to have me pulled off every single search engine and website and and when you got when you're suddenly uh, alone in the ocean, anybody's your friend. Anybody who will hold out your hand and lift you up and take you out of that that uh, pit you're in um, is your friend. And so I was looking around at that point, and I was saying, I'm I'm pretty positive that all the people I just stood on, are uh, stood beside, sorry, stood on, <laughs> kind of am now, I stood beside on on this left this faux left idea uh you know faux left right paradigm all of the people i stood with on that side didn't care about all of the articles that i was writing that proved that the government was completely and utterly corrupt and infiltrated by intelligence and all of this stuff they just ignore it they're too busy uh concentrating on these petty ideologies over here or over here that doesn't don't that just distract and we, we all i already knew that this was the problem um but it became very clear to me suddenly as the covid hit all of my ideological enemies became my allies all of a sudden nearly overnight they all of them the people i would have i would have railed against a few years before i started to realize um you know and they started to realize it's not like i was coming out and i was the only one 
everybody started to realize uh, there was a difference in how things had been done before and how things are going forward. There was an awakening of a type. And that sort of awakening led me personally to say, I'm going to cross all boundaries now and and examine my own ideology, examine my own understanding of what left and right is. And I'd already been doing that. I'd, I'd written some like opinion pieces, as you'd call them. Like, so just sort of like looking at left, right paradigm and, and trying to understand what the center actually is and all of this. And then I just realize there's no left, right or center. It's just there's a load of people who have created this so that they can uh, put all of their fears in a category over here or a category over here or a category over here. They can lump their enemies into a category over here or a category over here or a category. And it's the same thing as always. It's an, in that sense of, of categorizing your enemies. It's an ideological prison that you're, you're building for yourself when you get involved in this political uh, paradigm and you believe in any part of it. If you believe in any part, it's going to reach the end ends that you want you are completely fooled this the, you're in politics deep, deep at that point johnny did you yeah you, yeah you reminded me of someone that was uh it was a girl she's a, a uk political commentator and she used to she posts regularly on twitter she's got a very big account she's a young girl i think she's called sophie uh and i don't want to call her out but i remember reading some of her posts because she kept popping up in my feed and she was like a young conservative and she was all about the party and on every different political uh, argument should just go with the party line. And I was sat there watching it some days and I thought, oh, you poor girl. <laughs> you, you poor girl, one day you're going to wake up and it's all going to come collapsing down because she was so invested in it. Well, it happened. It happened about six months later. They kicked her out of the party. Oh, <laughs> my God. Yeah, they kicked <laughs> her out the, in a very public way. And I think it's because she did something with Lawrence Fox. And then all of a sudden she was homeless. And I was like, right, now you're going to go down that journey where you figure out that the whole system, that antagonism, is just there to keep you invested in the system as yeah. it stands. That's all it is. And that's exactly what you're describing. Yeah, there's a really interesting... I mean, I know I, I've studied the people who were involved in British politics to fine, uh, in, in, in fine detail. I've, I've, I've re Before I started um, investigating uh, or openly investigating the Epstein case, Youngerman links... Klaus Schwab, things like that, uh, 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 like the big guys and their histories. I was looking at the people who I could actually make a difference with on the ground. So I was looking at the politicians who were close into the system that I was in. So like the, all the people who were the, on the main stage. So my first proper um, investigative journalist article where I looked into the, the bat history of someone was Laura Koonsberg, who had just become political editor of the, the um, BBC at the time and was so anti-Corbyn and so obviously like, you know, paid to say to speak a certain line that would would control politically how people think and lean uh and her brainwashing was so overt that i was just like oh, i got to know who this person is and then i i discovered that her granddad was eckhart von kunzberg went to the school in uberschwobia where schwab's from which is extremely extremely rich where there's uh, uh all of the the she, she he went to school with um uh prince philip um uh, uh, during the 30s uh, 
and later on went on to create the NHS to an extent, help create it, help form it. Um, they needed uh, their guys in charge to form something that big. Um, uh, and then whose son went on to work uh, to manage sweatshops um, in, uh, I think it's Peru, uh, and then um uh, rip off the, the employees there when the law changed so every other sweatshop got basically uh had certain rules enforced so that their staff had good uh a work a better workplace environment a better pay and more rights and his was the only factory that stopped that happening and got special exemption not to treat his staff well and it's like wow that's the history and then i did Theresa may's father discovered he worked with a serial killer and i went through all of these politicians and then i went deep i went into the groups that surrounded these politicians and these little like sex or like like um a traditional britain group which is a far-right conservative um think tank that includes lots of the the really far-right libertarians who uh, are kind of like popping in and out of the scene people like uh, richard spencer and the like um and and with that i just started researching all of politics really and the political uh, like situation in the uk is uh special and there's a big wing of people the people who are in the lawrence fox area and um, they're kind of like in the um Oh, what's his name? Uh, Toby, uh, is it Young? I can't remember. He's Spectator guy, I think. Um, uh, there, there's a lot of uh, of people within that area who are really like these uh, right wing libertarians and don't really hold conservative values, but share the bed with conservatives. So when uh, con mainstream conservatives get into bed too closely to that side of conservatism, they get knocked out because that d doesn't work within the parliament parliamentary system you know that doesn't they don't like that in the in the the, the, the what is really a two three party system because you're bringing in too many of the people who have voices that will are real conservative voices because those are the real conservative voices the the most of the conservative party aren't really probably conservatives most of the labor party aren't really probably working class because it's all a fraud really isn't it it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of like going on Alex Jones as a alternative independent uh, media um, journalist, because if you do that, then all of a sudden that links there forever. And then the mainstream could go, aha, you're, you're yeah, Alex and, Jones, and, you're and, a conspiracy theorist. I, there's there's um, a guy who uh, is an InfoWars guy who I talk with regularly. Um, here and there, there's a, there's, there's, there's a few guys on that scene who like me very much. Uh, they like my work very much. They're extremely supportive of me, even publicly, uh, but they've never invited me on to InfoWars. And um, I f I, 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 I'm not sure whether or not I'd want to go on, you know. I know my, my uh, Schwab piece, the second Schwab piece, was eventually picked up by InfoWars and they ran a big thing on it. Um, so I know that they've like publicize my work on Infowars, but I try and I'm you know I'm trying to understand whether or not that attachment 
to what people think about me is the main issue with society in general and us having cross-borders chat. I mean, I've just set up something called newspace.com and it's going to be a, a place where you can focus in on news that's censored, news that's been deleted, where we can examine things that people don't want us speaking about for whatever reason. And we can examine not only the subject, but the reasons why people feel that way, um, because we've got to get over this. I like to talk about everything. And I suddenly find myself, self, and especially the more you end up being involved in the real world, you start self-censoring because you're scared of what people will think. And self-censoring comes to things like who you're going to speak to. So I I started with the idea when I, when I uh, and, and I've kept to this. Um, uh, luckily so far, I mean, I'm, I'm, it may have the an anomalous sort of like moment where I, I do the opposite, but, um, I have always said, I'll speak to anybody and I don't check out who they are beforehand. So I, I, I don't believe that, like, I've talked to some people who's like, I sit down and I'm like, Whoa, who am I speaking to here? But I, you've got to speak to everybody. And th this, this whole society that they've built only works if you don't speak to everybody and that that thing i i i've been told multiple times by various people don't speak to infowars don't speak to infowars or don't speak to so and so and and i can see why it's because of that but because you're getting attacked by the other side um does, should that stop you from doing the thing that needs to be done to get information everywhere? And and that's obvious to me, uh, a big marker that that I'm trying to now. Uh, my the newspaper podcast will look at speaking with people who are very censored at times, um, who are don't have a big not only a very censored but don't have a big voice. Uh, I don't have an ability to get on any other uh, of the platforms or bigger platforms because that is already those platforms are already designed in a certain way and they don't fit that mold. But that's, and that's what the... I want to hear. That I want to hear everyone's voice. Like I want to hear the crazy people. I want to hear the people who are completely opposite to me. I have always been like that. You know, I want to know what each mm -hmm. people like during COVID. Like I'd always ring up the people in my family who I knew were absolutely one hundred percent in. And I'd ask them questions and I'd want to know because I, I'm interested in psychology anyway. So I want to know why people think things. How do you But think you're you're a northern boy as well. So it's <laughs> that's a little bit easier because I mean I I, I, I grew up in a, a thing called the Sealed Knot, which was a seventeenth century enactment society. Um and every uh, it says for charity, it's about it was about eight thousand plus members when I was young. Everybody on a campsite every weekend, like loads of kids dressed up in 17th century clothes running around playing with each other pike swords armor everywhere you know all of the stuff I, that is quite different off. to my upbringing i have to yeah, say yeah yeah <laughs> but 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 it was people from all around the uk who would go to a different so we'd all go to a campsite uh, for a whole weekend uh, that was and the camp would be um guarded by the regiment who was organized and the regiments were all regional so my my dad was the commanding officer of colonel birch's regiment of foot 
but uh, we covered Hereford, South Wales and West Wales. So that's where all our recruitment was. Uh, he built up to about 250 people in the regiment. So that's quite impressive regiment when you're out on the field. We had a, a good like uh, 100 strong uh, pikemen um, and then and then probably about 50 muskets. Um, and that was with real gunpowder. You know, when I was young, I used to we used to go to these musters like Edge Hill or up north to Rip, uh, Ripley and things like that. And, uh, and I used to sit on the gunpowder that we were taking. So I'd be in the motor caravan uh, in between the chairs sitting on a big keg of gunpowder all the way up to the muster yeah that was that yeah and and my parents had a car crash at one point when luckily they didn't have the gunpowder in the car a poor little johnny comes out the back of the field (laughs) with black black face from gunpowder yeah 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 well there was a risk of that i mean there was really a risk of that it it was a different way of living but it meant i met lots of people from all my friends in school i had friends who were all from basically cardiff you know and then I'd go away every weekend, almost every weekend, except for uh, the really cold winter periods where we'd still do events like banquets for the regiments and, and skirmishes for, for in castles. And it stuff. sounds awesome. Oh, actually, yeah, jo- Johnny, you've just reminded me of something. I run a race down there in Wales and y- I don't know if it was you guys, but there was a reenactment society and they kicked off the race because it was an ultramarathon. And they had this massive medieval battle. They had swords and shields and smoke grenades going off. And uh, yeah, yeah, you just yeah. reminded me of it. That was actually in Wales. Well, well, if that was in Wales, if it was a sealed knot, it could be Gerard's regiment of foot. It could be uh, Birch's. It could be a couple other regiments because, um, like I say, regionally you have... Every regiment that was in the English Civil War is included within there. So King's Guard had like 1,500 members. And that was amazing. You watch 1,500 men march by in full uniform and try not to be like impressed by it and 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 loads of people were and even as a kid you know growing up with it all around you but my 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 youth was our parents used to go into battle (laughs) 17th century battle and all the kids would go and climb the um the the water tankers uh go into the woods and play all sorts of wars and battle games while our our parents were on the battlefield uh every like my my life in the weekends uh was roaming free and feeling safe and my life in in uh the weekdays was being caged inside a school and told how to think and it was so they were so just juxtaposed to each other and i could not tell people in school or when i went back to school what i did on the weekends you cannot speak about it because if you try they, their heads can't understand it they don't understand they, 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 sometimes one now and again they'd see me dressed up or go good thing and they, they'd be like their heads would just explode you try and talk with them and before long they, they've they've like created this image in their head which they they think you know it's just like a morris dancer or something you know it's just not real but it was a really it was an amazing way to grow up amazing freedom um and amazing people around people from all around the place so my my i had two older sisters and nearly uh, both of them nearly uh, always had northern boyfriends Always. So I, I know Northern people. And getting back to what my original point was before I went 
around that. You know, your your mannerism, you're able to cross that line and talk to people like that because Northern people have just like this, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of variety in, in the North as well. Genetically, there's a load of variety. So Leeds is a very different to Yorkshire, which is very different from Sheffield, which is very different from Newcastle and Sunderland, very different from Lancashire. There's so much, there's so much variety. The Humber people are different, the, the Lancs are different, you know, and then you've just got Scotland above and you've got these Southerners below and they're really bizarre as well what scousers manx uh you've got you've got the brummies there before you even get down to the weird people in the south britain is such a fantastically diverse place and northerners were always like the most i i I always love fell in love with their ability to uh not offend when they say things that are potentially offensive and i never understood how they do it it's always like uh i'm like oh well you know i'm saying the thing that that you don't want to hear but i'm saying it in the northern way and so you kind of like want to talk about it all of a sudden so i i think there's something about the um northern approach and northern english approach that does that so i'm i'm not sure where your accent's from i would think it's probably about uh north yorkshire somewhere yeah, I'm uh, I'm from Hull originally, so oh uh, right, yeah. So is it? I mean, and that was a that's a crazy place actually, because that was one of the most hated places by the royal family because mm. they refused to give up arms during the English Civil War. They actually locked them out, and uh, and then and then all of our statues of the royal family on they put them all on public toilets and they put them all on the wrong way round. So this yes. is like, so if you go to Hull, all of the statues, of, I don't, they might have changed it now, but growing up, there was always the wrong way around. So you got the ass. Like if it was a, yeah. if it was a king on a horse, you'd be looking at his ass rather than his face. Uh, and they did that. So Isn't I, it really interesting? Uh, Liverpool and Hull have this sort of like the same sort of uh, revolutionary sort of vibe about their culture. Um, And they're both very similar historically as like ports and like really important places uh, for, for people to land. Like, so, so, so I think that comes from a a background of a massive uh, kind of fairly local as we'd see it nowadays, but back then it would have been uber global sort of uh, movement of people it was actually a similar thing in liverpool because back in the early 1900s during the great unrest which is when all of the factory workers said listen we're sick of this you know it's 20 people living in one house we can't even afford to feed our kids and then in liverpool they actually sent a gunboat up the mersey to try and stop the strikers because at what i think at one point there was four million people striking in the UK yeah. now, just after that, they threw all those men into war. So it was very apt timing. But I think that was the end of family capitalism in the UK. But similar to Hull, it attracts these diverse characters. And these men are tough because they're going out to sea. Mm-hmm. And back, uh, you know, you're going, if you're going out to sea in the 19, early 1900s, you, you come back with men missing, arms missing. It's, it's uh, a Pete, Pete I, I have studied intensely because I am uh, currently trying to solve the Ripper case. Because why not? Oh, I've, wow, I've, nice. I've gone through and found some of the most important information about stuff that no one else has found. I've managed to, to prove things. And I, I, I said to myself years ago, 
God, I've got to solve the Ripper case. If I can... That's one of my favorite cases too. Growing up, I was absolutely obsessed with the Ripper case. So, so uh, I'm not going to say who uh, my suspect is for sure, but I've spent a lot of time studying uh, 1840, 1850s, um, before and after, of course, but 1840s, 1850s, um, Liverpool, um, and how it was. Uh, and it was an extraordinarily interesting place within uh, the potato famine happened uh, in Ireland and Liverpool within 10 years increased in size by 50 percent. That was all all. It was one of the most I think it was the second or third uh, busiest port in the world. I think the first at that time or uh, first and second might have been um uh, somewhere in Holland and Kyoto in Japan. Um, Kyoto was uh, has always been like uh, for 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 a long time one of the biggest port ports in the world, um, uh, busiest ports in the world historically. Um, but Liverpool was one of the busiest, and it was full. Uh, suddenly, like changed its its culture overnight. Really. 10 years, a decade, and 50% increase in its population. And it saw kids, uh, Irish kids, all over the streets with no shoes on, uh, no, no, no proper clothes, no proper food, all looking for ways to gain something. Urchins everywhere. People uh, picking these kids up off the street and selling them uh, in chain gangs into the ships, like a form of slavery that we pretended didn't happen past a certain point um and it was nearly of course it was nearly all white irish kids who were being uh tied up um had a number put on them put in a row and slowly loaded onto boats which they then sail all around the place and these kids were savage they'd be working in the hot fires underneath and these people would grow up into extremely strong men with extremely broken minds you know a lot of people there was also a load of technologies that came up during that period um that meant that that people didn't understand the risk to them and some technologies like for instance in the hatting industry if you were a hatter during that time in 1840 uh, they introduced um, a different type of uh, production method in hats before britain had mainly made straw hats for the american slave trade so that this they were poor quality they'd ship them across in bulk and these slaves would be given these straw hats and they had a big wide brim and they were extremely cheap to, to manufacture and the process was pretty easy but by the time the 1840s happened there was a revolution uh, like in all parts of the industrial revolution in the hatton industry and what you had was uh dipping of really nice felt hats and stuff into a mixture that um it, it was like a, a mixture of sulfuric acid and other stuff i think but it was just like a, a way that it glossed over the top i'm not i'm not quite sure how the process works um but the chemicals involved in it uh, as you will know from the term mad as a hatter uh made people go 
go mad, made people go crazy. And there was loads of that all around. People were put into um, jobs and employee that were going to be like disastrous for their minds. And Liverpool came from this fire of this mass immigration. All of a sudden, all of this prosperity all around uh, them. Yeah, yeah, it's transient prosperity that they can't have any purchase over. It's they're watching the prosperity go by, people move in and out of the city constantly. You had loads of people going through there all of the time. And the, the people of Liverpool have grown up to be, have grown in to being the most intriguing part of Britain, in my opinion. Um, the most honest part of Britain and at times the most roughest part of Britain. Um it's a really strange mix. It's so welcoming. I, I you know, I've been, I, I go a lot of places, but my experience of li going to Liverpool has been just mind blowing because uh, I went into to places where people were just buying us drinks for the fact that they were looking for an excuse for it. You know, they'd look around to make friends and it's a weird type of friendship. And back when I worked in hotels, I worked in the Holiday Inn next to the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff at one point. And we used to, um, Wembley was closed down. So we had all of the big events coming to uh, Cardiff at that time. So all the FA Cup finals and stuff. And Liverpool played a few times and we had loads of scousers come down. And they were the cheekiest bunch of rapscallions you could ever imagine. I, I remember one time being behind a desk, night manager of the uh, Holiday Inn, looking up and right in front of me, they're on a chair unscrewing the signs from the walls to steal them. And I was just like, what are you doing? And they were like, Oh, we're just like about to do Irish. <laughs> just taking your signs. That's what we're doing. We're just taking your signs. That's all. Don't worry. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, you cheeky bastards! <laughs> you, you, you just you. Not only you, not only will you do the thing that everybody says, what are you doing? But but you'll do it in a way that's with a smile and uh, is beautiful. It's like it's these these areas in Britain are really special areas that come from this furnace of the industrial revolution and the time you're talking about. Then when it comes up to the 1900s. This is like a, a generation and a half deep into this. Like, this is the second industrial revolution by this point. You know, it's going crazy. And there's all sorts happening. It's the biggest time in humanity, I think. I think that moment was just like the boo, everything happened. And so many stories that remain untold. Um, but what we see now is an evolution that comes from those that area. So the people of Liverpool today are still as different as the people of Liverpool were in 1850. And same probably for Hull and same for a lot of places where there was a, a once a big port and a lot of people moving through. Cardiff had the same. Um, we had steel mills and we had other industry here before Thatcher's government closed them all down and our city got turned into some sort of massive call centre. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I always say that what happened at the turn of the, the last century, the 1900s, that was when all of this really went into overdrive. And that's really where it, I'd say there was a big build-up period before that of thousands of years, but then in a hundred years, it was like, boom, we are like going in. And I think we're at the pointy end of that now because it, that's when all the Royal Societies came in. That's when they realized they couldn't manage all of these people and, and capitalism, the way they were doing it in Great Britain, family capitalism, where you just had this kind of oligarchical class and then a load of basically slaves. Like that's what we, all my ancestors were, your ancestors will have been the same. Mm -hmm. They were slaves. You know, I, there was a, there was a house in Ireland that had 50 people living in one house. 
you know, I mean, that's what people were living like. And then all yeah. of a sudden, those people started to say, actually, we've got a lot of us and we're not going to work in your factories. And then they realized they had a problem because if the people didn't work in the factories, it all fell apart. And then what I think happened after that was the Great, great Britain said, right, we can't, we can't handle this over here anymore. So let's pass the book on to this capitalist, uh, corporate capitalist system, which is what the Americans came along with. And there was that tussle. Is it going to be them? Is it going to be the Germans? Or is it going to be Russia? And then it went to, but I think it's all one lineage. I think, I think it was just, I think they just fight like families fight. It's like, who's going to get to have the nicest bedroom in the house, but it's the same families. And uh, I'd like to get your opinion on that, Johnny, because you've done a lot of the research because whenever I look into the families of America, they're all, you can trace pretty much all of them back to aristocracy and royalty back in the UK. You know, it's just to say, it's like mm -hmm. the same, yeah. same lineage coming across. They know their families very well. Um, the, the rich and the, the wealthy, the elite, the establishment, the people who make up the establishment, nearly every single one of them has a book that tells them their, their, um, ancestry. They, they know exactly who they're related to. They don't show that to us because, of course, it would come up with the same things. Oh, look what so and so's ancestors did in the past and look how it's very similar to what's happening now because the manifestation of genetics is fantastic when, yeah, like, you know, it manifests in one time and the same psychology, psychological behavior is, is, is becomes, uh, apparent and then the same thing happens. 200 years later with uh, a, another person in that that line so it's not like every single person is a carbon copy of each other but we all have these traits and these guys know it very well and what i find interesting is looking at this era between uh, again um now when i was talking about what was going on in 1814 1850 in um we actually just glossed over jack the ripper he was about to tell me who jack the ripper was <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to tell you that. Oh, I'm not going to tell you. I'll tell you eventually, I promise. And it is, uh, oh my God. Oh my God. Have I come up with. I, I'm just not going to say anything about that at the moment. Um, That's a teaser, Johnny. But, but, uh, well, can you just answer me this one? Was it some. Okay. Uh, I'm guessing that it took you to the upper echelons of society. How high up did you end up with this one? Because it clearly wasn't. Not at all. Oh, oh really? Not. It is so obvious. It is so obvious. Once you, once you investigate uh, all, all of what happened um, in this person's life, you realize that yes, there's an effect by the society around and the want to have, be bigger than you are within this person's life. But this person is on the bottom rung and it is like um, five different really extreme things happen all in a 10 year period to this person. Um, and he, he's already pretty off it. Like he's already pretty far gone. Um, and it's stages in his life. This guy is tortured, basically tortured in ways that I um we don't realize when we just read histories because we don't look at what things actually mean. If you go to an asylum during a certain time, what actually happens? You know, our, our idea is if you go to asylum, um, a mental asylum back in the 1800s, our idea is dark brick stained, smeared with pee and poo and someone screaming, ah! 
into the distance and then and then like like body fluids being flicked through bars and uh, you know and crazy chatter at all hours of the night and guards beating people uh it's not so at all the majority of people were treated in only two ways um one was uh, a really relaxing therapy so the more um uh, and uh, like depressed and melancholic as they would say back there you were um they would use water therapies uh, with nearly everywhere so that's that that was their main thing so if you were melancholic they'd sit you in a bar they'd give you nice things here and there um you'd relax loads and that's what it was about it's like a spa um, yeah yeah really really i really mean it it's like a spa is it was very similar to that and wow. if you weren't and you were psychologically disturbed you had a different type of water therapy that was much more extreme they would waterboard you basically you would lie on a table with your head strapped down so you can't move your arms strapped down your legs strapped down for eight hours at a time with water hitting you constantly on the face constantly feeling like you're drowning for that entire time the entirety one person that i um researched during the time was in there for two years and when he came out he couldn't speak properly anymore he couldn't use words properly anymore because he was basically it sounded like he for the first year it sounded like he was drowning still you know that's that's if you were crazy you got put, taken to a place where you had just water hit you in the face constantly. That is that going to help you? I mean, it's it was just a different world. And what we think that world is, we think it's really dirty and horrible. In actual fact, it's really clean because there's water everywhere, all over the place, all of the time. Um, but it's really psychologically disturbing beyond the level. So, so the the person um, I I looked at, it, it makes a hell of a lot of sense. The different periods of his life make a hell of a lot of sense to why he ended up. And there is a massive thing that happened um, to him, three times that happened to him, that he then reenacted in the killings. So the murders of Jack the Ripper and how the bodies were presented was something that happened to this guy in his life on multiple occasions that can be shown as proof and evidence to, look, this person experienced this, and this is a direct consequence, and it is a projection, a full-on projection of exactly what he had experienced um, in many different ways. And it's just such a different time. So I've got a question that... about this guy, and you might not want to answer it if you because you haven't released the article. But my question, or the first thing that comes to my mind is, if this guy come from such a disturbed background, how was he able to get away with it? How was he able to cover his tracks and actually be so cunning and clever that for all of these uh, hundreds of years, there has been no one that has, that has solved it? God, I got to answer this really carefully. I got to answer this really <laughs> carefully. I have a really concise answer, a really, con I, 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 but I can't, I can't say it out loud without giving uh, too many hints away because I have got to be, I have got to be careful. I've been working on this for quite a while. No, no, no. And it, I, if, if you say anything even, wrong and you want me to edit it out, I'll be happy to do but it. But even if if someone wanted to come in as competition and even worked out um, what I like, parts of what I know, I I've got enough confidence with my ability that I can find things that basically like loads of people just don't think about looking there. And this case is the type of case where there's so much 
to look at um because the 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 person was um very particular in how he acted so it means there's lots of evidence that'll be around that won't necessarily be attached to him but will be attached to other things so so th th this is what we're... now now the reason he was able to get away with it was because of the uh, basically tabloid newspapers um in 1880 there was really no such thing as tabloid newspapers uh, newspapers themselves weren't acting like tabloid newspapers in the same way. By 1890, there were tabloid newspapers, and suddenly all of the newspapers were acting like tabloid newspapers. And it was about sensationalizing. It was about making, uh, you know, um, like thinking about things and saying, oh, could posit, posit this dramatic possibility or posit this dramatic possibility. Or, and it captured people. That sort of style of journalism captured people. And so what happened was all of the people involved in the case realized that they wanted a little bit of fame from this. They could get, they had newspapermen coming to the door and saying, we want to interview you. Your story is the most important. You're involved in this case, blah, de, blah, de, blah. And they had to find um, something that was their own angle on the case that was unrelated to all of the other people who uh, like all of the other ideas that people had had of what's actually going on in the case so they would say um uh oh it's this person and he did it this way and it's for this reason and the next person would think oh, i can't say that so i've got to say something else because i've got to sense it and it's got to be individual to our newspaper and it's got to be oh amazing and, and people have got to think that i've got something you know that, and that happened so everybody lost sight of focus focus went out the window straight away um and in amongst it all the answer was obvious the entire time i mean obvious obvious and i can't say too much about it but i'll say that it, it it's it's not true that no one knew everybody kind of knew and that'll become clear with what i say so all of the people who were at the top of the cases knew this case had been solved, but were making money, lots and lots and lots of money by selling stories, selling books, being this center of attention. And that's why it's the ego, individual egos of people who are in power. And um, uh, it was something else I was going to say uh, about, about, uh the the i can't remember we were talking about 1840s and 1850s i mentioned something again because it was something i wanted to oh yeah it's so it's, in britain like i i talk about what's happening in britain during this time in america the same thing's happening but it's being expressed differently and in the halls of power in places like oxford in the universities in london in the halls of power in britain the same sort of conversations happening as they're watching the americans and the americans are watching the germans by 1814, 850, big institutions like Harvard and stuff, if you go back to what uh, the, the lead thinkers and the leaders of Harvard, like the president of Harvard and stuff, were, were openly talking about in their addresses through 1848, 50, and 1860, they were reforming the world then. 
that world you're talking about where you start to see the royal society and these sort of like um i suppose you call them post-dickensian rhodesian institutions that were created to uh, uh meet the needs of this new rising oligarchy of whatever type that was wanted to have global domination and all of this um th th this was being designed before this didn't just suddenly happened in the early 1900s this was designed before and it took a long time these sort of like big shifts in society and culture and this this for the upper echelons or the intellects the people of the mortarboard for them to notice that um something is happening and that they can manipulate it and how to manipulate it, it takes 50 60 years especially back then um, and they saw this in the same way Kissinger and his lot in uh, 1950 was suddenly starting to form the post-war new world order. The 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 period that saw the uh, American Revolution and stuff saw a new way of thinking in America at the higher echelons of education about how to educate people differently, how to take um, uh, things that other societies and other nations are doing well and incorporate them within your society. Uh, Education-wise, that was very much, like I say, Americans looking at the German institutions and saying, wow, look at what they're doing, which eventually meant that their institutions aligned really well post world war ii uh like a hundred years later and allowed them to just bring in operation paperclip and bring in all of the same thinkers into the american environment and just turn into that so they're all related in that sense but in the 1840s and 1850s in america in the 1860s there was some big things going on especially within harvard and you like if for people who are really interested about this sort of stuff go look at the presence of harvard what they're speaking about in the late 1850s early 1860s and they're based basically uh, designing a different educational establishment outside for the leaderships and for this uh, elite so that they can form a new society that looks uh, like they want it to and the slaves can still remain slaves they're, they're worried they're, they know this power is shifting you know they've watched within a, a few generations they've seen um, uh, the, the the slave trade end they've seen american or supposedly end uh the um the black slave trade at least come to an official abrupt stop that was only going to go into decline further afterwards and see more freedom for black people is what i'm saying um and uh less power over uh basically the whole population of every single country they needed to to stabilize that and create a new way to keep these people as slaves us as slaves the people listening at home as slaves and that was planned out and mapped out um for for maybe 50 60 years before that turn of the century where it was implemented into these organizations and societies and there was some very um what's always interesting when you look at the start of something like that people talk more openly about what they desire as a conclusion at the end so if you go back far enough what you see is people explaining where we are now and that's when you've realized i've found the people who designed our future i think you've hit the nail on the head that's the way i that, that i see it as well uh i chatted it more from a i chatted it more from a banking perspective but i i guess the Part where I jump in on terms of the cultural stuff is, yeah, it's like the 17, 18, 19, but particularly the 1900s onwards, because that's when like 
you were saying, all of this really started to speed up. And uh, it's just crazy that we're living right now on the uh, sharp end of this. And like you said, if you go back to Julian Huxley when he was, uh, he was the first director general of UNESCO, as everyone will know, uh, and he was talking back then about the need to have a one world government and one world system and that everyone will have to be a part of it. And it's like, how can people not have the, well, the critical thought, or at least the motivation to want to find out where these ideas come from? Because if you do, it's not like it's difficult to trace it back. It's like all along, it was always about transhumanism. Was all, well, actually, posthumanism. The trans bit is just that in, in the middle bit. Yeah, yeah, really. I, I think there's a lot of Nietzsche about uh, like everything that happened at that point when people started to realize, oh shit, you know, it's all gone. <laughs> we, we, spirituality and God is dead. We don't have to be in the church. This like revolution of thought happened. There's, there's, um, I do a show called Newshound, which um, goes through the newspaper archives to uh, look at a certain subject. Oh, I love so, that. I was watching your one recently about Bohemian Grove. That was yes. awesome. Now, 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 that Alice Ricks at the beginning of part one of uh, Running Naked Through Bohemian Grove Newshound, which is Newshound 18, there is a um, really brilliant article that I found from 1895. Um, and Bohemian Grove itself is a good way to describe what we're talking about because it divided these people uh who i'm talking about in the university the intellectuals are divided society into three types of people and that article focused in on what bohemian grove uh, bohemian club who attend their their things at bohemian grove what do they uh were focusing in on and what they were focusing in on was that society is ruled by three things um, and the, the article is called uh, The Owl, the Mortarboard, and the Almighty Dollar. And they each represent something, like always within these people's ideology. They like to explain it with its symbology. Um, Moloch the Owl, <laughs> convenient. He's, of course, like this bohemian. He's the wisdom of the bohemian, of the, the arts, of what you can see when expressed in, in, in like beauty of arts and, and culture and things like that. Uh, the mortarboard is, of course, as I said earlier about mortarboard, the educated man, the people who use a mortarboard, the people in the universities. And, um, and the Freemasons. Yeah, yeah. And the almighty dollar is the government, the banks, and the people who are running the country. And th that article goes through those three people and very, like, shows them, gives each of them a character. And the bohemian is very, oh, yes, um, I don't want your, your fizzy beer, he says, but in actual fact, he does want the fizzy, nice, fresh beer. He, he wants to fresh lovely pint but he's pretending that he's something else because he's a bohemian that's what bohemians do and that is a character within society a big character within a large society the actor who pretends who puts on the pretense that he doesn't want this and convinces you that he doesn't want this at the same time he wants exactly that you know um and he's uh, uh he's not able to make the 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 money the money for that he has to turn to the people who are close to power and close to the the elites at the top and they're the ones who uh they have their own vision of all who these people are but they see the same people and they 
communicate in the same ways. And that was how society was built uh, in Victorian times, like late Victorian times. Um, so 1850 to turn of the century, you had these three very definable groups who were coalescing to create society in their image. And out of it, um, I think it, it, it what it would lead to is like the soulless behemoth of like a, a post World War America and. But and do you, Johnny, extent... not think that this meaningless world that they've gave everyone, uh, they don't have a meaning like it's meaningless for for thee, but not for me because they are like you said they've got this giant Moloch. But if you go back through the mystery schools and wherever you look, they all talk about this kind. Well, not I wouldn't say monotheism; it is a pantheism, but they talk about the monotheistic God and how like we're going to be we're going to be superior to god god made man in his own image but we're going to become better than god we so, can improve on this so it's got like a spiritual belief to it yeah but it's a spiritual belief of order what you're saying to me there is that um and, and is what what we hear is oh you know we have become above god we are, are, are in our order we are more we're more intelligent god is is a, a, a fictional being that we've created and that means we can create um other things and order like that creating orders and etc that is like um hermetic in roots is like a form of hermeticism and that's what we see we see like uh the the break off of religion the post-religious world and and hermetic societies uh infiltrating uh the real world and then being able and that you know hermeticism allows uh, someone to create an order that can then groom the mind of a certain group you know they can focus on saying you will get power if you do these things so the people who are willing to do these things will go that route for their power now they'll look to another uh, order uh, or group that is created that can offer a different type of power if that's more up their street you know and that's what 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 happened it was this like split of the the uh, main churches and what you had from it was a, a load of group of people say well we're we now questioning our order of the order of things, the order of nature, the order of God, the order of man, everything. Um, we, we realize that we're different and we can become above it. We understand evolution. There, there, there's no God anymore. We're, we, 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 our order has changed. So for that, we must create new orders, orders that then can be focused on these certain individual tasks. And then everything should find natural uh, balance. Uh, a universal balance, which is, I, I think, also kind of like a lot of people who have, have I, I've spoken to someone about hermeticism recently, um, and I, I'm not the biggest, you know, I, I've got a basic working knowledge of all of the things around it, but I, I, I didn't really understand it until it was uh, described, until to, to, I could really take out that one word, the projection that's within hermeticism, which is order, order. It's all about order. And the change of the order of things is why it was allowed in and why all of these different societies were created, different orders were created. Um, and, of course, they they don't work for the people. I mean, what is even that? Work for the people. These guys are all focused on certain things and it allowed them to be extremely productive in the late 1800s and create a new world in the new 1900s, which as technology um and and this is one really important thing you know you talk about uh, we one the society talks about why world war ii happened and really what people don't realize is that 
it had been it had been understood that something a big technology technological advance was coming something enormous world war one had seen lines of hundreds of thousands of men walk into gunfire machine gun fire and not work out that this was a different type of warfare than they'd experienced before world war one had seen on the belgian front uh, just there were just bodies piled up over more bodies piled up as they tried to just walk in an old advancing way across a line towards machine gun turrets you, you and literally for, still had men on on horses with swords charging into battle yeah i know it happened over here in poland they were charging on swords still I, if you, on horses if you listen to um uh, uh any of dan carlin's work he's very good at describing some of the scenes uh and when when it, i think it's, in, it's called world at war um i can't i can't remember it's one of his series um but but he basically um the 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 scene he sets is just for days and days it took him the, the the line of the army was so long that it went back like 70 100 miles you couldn't turn armies you couldn't organize armies everything had become too big manpower had just become uh, a purpose of that purpose just meat for the grinder and they hadn't learned to stop grinding yet they just kept grinding um by the time you got to world war ii or, or got to say 15 10 15 years before world war ii they had had a chance to examine what happened in world war one a lot of the people in power had said right Lots of people died. We can't go through the um, chemical weapons stuff all over again because that was brutal for all of our systems, everything, the German health system, the British health system, whatever. It didn't matter. Uh, those who had to um, be treated for mustard gas poisoning and all other types of poisoning uh, cost a lot of money, and a lot of them were, were just ruined forever. They were people who were ruined forever. They could no longer they just shake in. They could no longer do normal work and they were expected to come back from war and go straight back into work so it caused masses of mental illness within society as well and i mean this may have benefited the, a, a certain agenda at the top but it didn't benefit everybody and it certainly didn't benefit any sort of wider society and so by the time it come to about 15 years before they said we know that we're approaching an age that it's going to be really big bombs really big bombs and so everybody sees it as the rise of Hitler and all of this, the reason why World War II happened. Um, it's the race towards the technology. And as it got closer, there needed to be a reason for the technology to be uh, implemented. So World War II manifested itself as a, as a stage of this race to this big technology that is provably uh it could be you could say is provable by the fact that at the end it was ended by this technology being uh discovered and enacted publicly in front of everybody and then it just keeps going up now that means that for 15 years before um world war ii everybody was sitting around and thinking okay how do we harness this and how do we create this and the conclusions would have been go to war go to war 
go to war and lead us to this place where we get to this technology and then we've got uh, what i seen happen in in like uh, 1950 what happens in the universities in america especially is the same thing that happened uh, like post-war years same thing that happened in the 1840s and 1850s and 1860s in the same universities a reimagining of society that would be eventually implemented 50 years later at the millennium where we're seeing the uh, introduction of young global leaders uh, go in and be be uh, put into to different areas uh, different uh, leading positions in nations taking over becoming presidents prime ministers um and and that's a plan that was very much like uh the plan that led to the ideas of cecil Rhodes and stuff it's the same plan as the plan that led from kissinger uh in 1850 uh and and resulted in the world we have now i think you really described quite well as the re- most recent of these big events which was covid uh you really when you was talking about World War Two, then there was this technological revolution happening, and I don't think most people understand just how great it was between World War One and World War Two. Even in that short period, it was absolutely ginormous. The people who were my great grandfather was in both, and what he faced in World War Two compared to World War One would have been like a different war completely. He'd have gone yeah. into that war, and it, the 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 planes, the satellite technology, the submarine technology, well, everything had advanced so much by then. But and... the fear, the fear. I mean, keep keep your train of thought there. I just say quickly: the fear of the technologies that were utilized in World War Two was still present in World War One. For instance, the zeppelins used to. Uh, the fear of zeppelin attacks over London meant that all of the kids were taken out into the countryside, and the rich people were taken to safe places to avoid zeppelin attack. Now that wasn't realized as a fear as bad as later on you would get with uh, air raids during world war ii but it was like the progression of understanding that fear would eventually happen with technology so they're practicing it out now and they're practicing the techniques to uh counteract it you know yeah and that's what i wanted to to stick with was that idea that that is what was happening because the way that i have always conceptualized the past few years is this fourth industrial revolution it needed that catalyst for them to try out the technologies and when people talk about, oh, my God, it's gone awfully wrong. Everyone's getting sick and dying. I'm like, no, no, no. If you ask those people what's being done to them at hospital, they're not being ignored. Some of them are. Some of them are because they might have a compensation claim. But many of them are having lots of tests done on them. And that data was critical to the whole process. It's actually desired. And that is what these big nations now are trying to harness is these new technologies, not for now but for 20 years down the line, but they needed this big, massive event. They needed everyone to take part in the experiment. Same as with a wall, which is exactly what you perfectly described there. They needed that wall. Uh, and that's what they needed COVID for, was to the fourth industrial revolution. They need to start having bodies filled with this technology, filled with these injections, so they can get the data and then improve on it. And of course, China's doing the same. And uh, they've been, I mean, for example, China's been harvesting DNA for decades. You can't do that in the West so easily because we've got these medical ethics. But what just happened over the past few years, Johnny, everyone was giving sample after sample after sample. So now all of a sudden, the West is trying to catch up and it's, it's been very effective in two years. It's managed to obliterate medical ethics. Uh, so that's why I always saw COVID. I was like, no, this is what they wanted. It doesn't matter if the, injection, the injections were not meant to be successful, put it that way. They were yeah. meant to give lots of data back. So there's, there's a couple of things. Um, 
that I, I, I don't I don't want to I don't want to lose track of Johnny let's, let's take this to part two because I think we've come to the first hour so uh, right. maybe we can leave that cliffhanger there this is <laughs> so I'm really excited to get your comments on this one <laughs> so uh, if you want to listen to part two members please come across to parallelmatic.com where can I send people Johnny I know you've got a few websites Fungi Monkey and JohnnyVedmore.com but if you want me to uh, link people to any specific one let me know yeah, well, newspace.com is what I'm concentrating on now. So nearly everything is going to go through newspace.com. Uh, so newspaste is basically the most censored, not want to talk about, uh, not allowed to talk about articles that you can find. Um, I try and link people to other people's work. So you'll find a lot of, I, and this is a growing list. It'll keep increasing. Also deleted articles that you'll no longer find on any of the archives that have been uh, found in many different ways and have been um, uh, results of, of lots of research. So lots of documents um, as well as books. There's going to be links so you can find some of the most important books to explain things about intelligence and stuff. A lot of my own works on there um i'll have newspaste originals um and is the newspaste podcast which has started its first episode i've already recorded four episodes in a week and i think it's just gonna i, I gonna just keep uh, I, i've said it's gonna be weekly but i get a feeling it's gonna become two, bi-weekly like it's uh it, so i, I what i want to do is get out a lot of stuff over the next six months um that will blow people's minds clean off and start that as a base to try and attract other journalists as well to come work with me uh, other researchers to come work with me not everybody's got the same skill level or ability so people who want to research but don't know how to um i've put up open invites around the place to say to people if you want to help me with a project and there's a specific thing that i mentioned that you're like oh i'd like to be involved in something uh, like this and we can find something to do together because even if it's just like there's a, a lady who sends me um uh, a, a few things that she looks uh, at a certain topic at the moment and she sends me a few things every now and again now I, of course of course it's not like she's full-time work or anything but that massively helps and that's what newspaste is going to be about it's going to be about pasting news that the mainstream media does not want you to know about and and may, having a place for people to find that so it'll be a growing exploration of course i'm on johnnyvedmore.com i do have fungimonkey.com but that's probably going to be linked up to either johnnyvedmore.com or newspaste eventually because it's really fungi monkey is about the production the media side of it um more than anything it was like kind of like that idea but I am very much uh, a, a mushroom monkey walking through time like most of us are. Um, and so, you, you you know, you'll find if you want to look at some of the uh, my uh, previous articles, you'll find a, a bulk of my work on Unlimited Hangout um, and you'll find an article on UK column. But most of my stuff is on johnnyvedmore.com. Um, and so anybody can come and also there's contact forms so anybody can have a conversation with me and I try and be interactive um, so just want to say that to your guys come and get involved what you are basically Deep, deep down, far, far in, is simply 
the fabric and structure of existence itself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. Honestly expressing yourself. Peace for all men and women, for all men and women, for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, peace in all time. The fabric and structure of existence itself.